if you want to turn there. Genesis 17, and we're going to start uh, just by reading the story, um, reading the text all the way through verses uh, 1 through 27, the whole chapter. Paul told Timothy to give himself to the public reading of Scripture in the church, and so we'll, we'll obey Apostle Paul today by reading a lengthy text together. Genesis 17, verse 1 says, When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall they name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and between thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." And God said to Abram, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you will keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and uh, he that is bought with a stranger, not of thy seed, um, which needs to be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant." Verse 14, and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is almost a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said to God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son indeed. Thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him forever, for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make of him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at a set time the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abram, Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto them. And Abram, Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son, and all the men of the house, born in the house, and bought with the money of a stranger, all were circumcised with him. I'll start with this idea. Don't we love new things? We do, right? You love pretty much anything new. Now, I know, I know, we got some thrift store junkies out here, okay? My wife, Joanna, is one of them, right? You love, the only mall you're going to is an antique mall. I hear you. But most of us, we love new things, right? I'm, I, myself included. In fact, I remember this phone. When I got this phone, it was the newest phone. Um, it was uh, very interesting. I went to the Apple store because my phone had broke, my old phone had broke, and they gave me, I said, give me the saddest phone you got. What's the newest one with the most bells and whistles? Give me that. 
And so they gave me an iPhone 10. And I walked away so happy because it was new. And then, not, I'm not kidding, the next day, Apple came out with the iPhone 11. And I should have seen the signs at the store, but I wasn't putting it together. And the clerk, he didn't say anything like, wait till tomorrow. He just said, here's the newest one, because technically on that day, that was true. The next day, I'm on Twitter. There's an iPhone 11. There's a new, new one. It's a true story. I went back to Haywood Mall to the Apple store. I waited in line because everybody else had figured out there's a new one. And I finally got up and I said, I was here yesterday and I asked for the newest phone and you didn't bother to mention that in 20 years, there'd be a new, new one? And I was like, can we swap? I just bought it yesterday. It's brand, can we swap this out for the 11? And of course they had to talk to their manager and call the NSA and whatever. And they're, Finally, they swapped it out, and I got the iPhone 11, and guess what? Now there's a iPhone 12, and Josh has the 12, and I see it every day, and it drives me wild because that's the one I want, right? Because we love new things. New is awesome. A new house, right? uh, a new car, the new car smell. Uh, new, new is so good. And it goes even from the physical to the spiritual. It goes from the natural to the supernatural. It goes from the external to the internal. New beginnings, new chances, new starts. Don't we love things that are new? And I believe a big part of the reason we love new things is because we're made in the image of God and God actually loves new things. I know that sounds kind of weird, But think about the scriptures, right? He makes with us a new covenant so that we might become new creations and obey a new commandment. We might become a new man with a new self and we eventually head towards a new heaven and a new earth where he that sits upon the throne says, right, I make all things new. We love things that are new because God loves things that are new. He loves to give us a new start, teach us new things, show up for us in new ways, give us new mercy every morning. And chapter 17 of Genesis is a chapter that highlights this. We've been studying line by line, verse by verse, through Genesis. We're not even halfway through, so buckle in. It's going to be a while. Some of your kids will be like graduating high school when we hit the end. We've been studying in this section of Genesis a guy named Abram and his wife Sarai. They've been struggling with infertility, even though God has promised to eventually one day give them a child that will be the son of a son of a son, will eventually bring forth the Savior, Jesus, but he hasn't come yet. We saw last week in chapter 16 that they sinned and they failed miserably and that they jumped the gun. They took matters into their own hands and Abram tried to have this promised son through one of the servants in his house, a girl named Hagar, Ishmael comes into the world and so does a whole bunch of drama comes into his household and they have really messed up. And then we hit Genesis 17 where you think God would be done with Abraham, where you think God would be done with Sarai, where you think that he would want to move on and change up who he's gonna use to bring about the nation of Israel and the savior of Israel. You think it would all be over, but instead of ditching them, forsaking them, severing ties with them, he gives them a new beginning. He gives them a new chance. He gives them a new start in Genesis 17. Anybody here need a new start? You need, a new, you need new mercy. You need a new shot. You need, you need new beginnings. This is a great chapter for us because God makes all things new. And in this chapter, there's so many new things that come to light. In this chapter, God is going to share a new name of himself with Abram. In this chapter, God is gonna give Abram a new name. And in this chapter, he gives them a new sign so they don't forget his covenant of love and salvation for them. It's a chapter of all things new from our God who loves to make things new. We see first, Abram needs a new name for God, so God gives him a new name by which he can call on God. Look at verses one through three. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, said to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I'll multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. 
God comes to Abram and God makes with him a covenant. We've talked about this, but remember, covenant is not a contract. Contract is you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Covenant is what God makes with his people. I give you myself, you give me yourself. It's more like a marriage. God is saying, I'm, I'm all for you. Me and you together forever. I come make a covenant with you. Also important is to note the origin of this covenant is God. God comes to us and makes a covenant. Every other theology, religion, faith, fill in the blank, all turn that around. We go to God and make promises to him. And if we keep them, we get a reward from him. Christianity is the exact opposite. The Bible is the exact opposite. It paints a picture of God coming to us not us making promises to him that maybe we'll keep, maybe we won't, but him making promises to us that he will indeed keep. And so he's coming to Abraham and he says, I'm making a covenant with you, right? I, I, I'm, I, am, I am going to give you a great nation that's gonna come from your sons, your sons' sons and the sons after them. I'm gonna give you this land you're dwelling in, this land of Canaan, and through all of this is gonna come the serpent-crushing son we're promised in Genesis 3.15. Through all of this is gonna come the Savior Jesus, the salvation of the world. Now, you're like, hasn't he already told Abraham all this? Yes, in fact, this is the fourth time that God has shown up to Abram in Genesis since chapter 12 and made these promises to him. This is the fourth time. So there is this one sense in which there's nothing new, right? There is this one sense in which God never changes. There is this one sense in which Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, total dependability, total in one sense, predictability. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's steady. He is the rock. He is the refuge. He never changes. That's true in one sense, but in this other sense, he's infinite. And so we're always needing to learn something new about him. So God comes and makes the same covenant with Abram again. He reiterates it fresh. It's the same one that has not changed. But in this reiteration of the covenant, he offers up a new name. Call me God Almighty. You need to learn this, Abram. I am God Almighty. The Hebrew word is El Shaddai. You want to learn some Hebrew this morning? Why not? Everybody on the count of three, we're going to say El Shaddai. One, two, three. El Shaddai. There you go. You're a Hebrew scholar <coughs> type person. <laughs> El Shaddai. Now, there is some debate over exactly what it means, but the core of what it means, to be sure, is I am the Almighty God. I am God Almighty. Abram needs to learn and this new name for God. He needs to call God by this new name because in Abram's mind up to this point, he is thinking that God is cornered by his own promise, that God has made this promise and is now like scratching his head on how he's going to fulfill it because him and Sarah are both super old. And so he's like, well, God can't do this. We're in our 90s, right? In a human sense, Abram's right, right? We're in our 90s. This is scientifically impossible. But he says, call me El Shaddai because with me, nothing's impossible. This is what Abram's needing to learn. Right? Abram's been waiting for 20 plus years for this promised child. This is why he's so anxious to have one and jumps the gun in chapter 16 with Hagar. Right? He's been waiting so long. And when we wait so long for the Lord, we're thinking that somehow the Lord is struggling to make something happen. But he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He never struggles. Abram needs to learn this that God is God Almighty. He can bend the science he created. He can maneuver around the principles of anatomy he has placed in our body. I mean, you guys might remember the virgin birth. He is El Shaddai. He, does, he has no limits, no parameters, nothing. And Abram needs to call him this because Abram needs to learn this because Abram's thinking that God is God mighty, but maybe not almighty. You can even see it in this text. I mean, look down at verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18, God says, I will bless her, that's Sarah, she's 90, okay, and give her a son. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, shall the child be born unto me? I'm 100. And Sarah is 90. Will she bear a child? In verse 18, he says, can Ishmael just be the promised child? 
Right? So in one sense, we see Abram doing the right thing. He bows to the ground twice, it says in chapter 17, that he falls on his face. Nailed it, Abraham. Fall on your face before the Lord. This is a proper response to God. Just so you know, it is good for you to bow down to God before you sleep or when you wake up or after the sermon, we always do three songs. You can come to the altar and bow down to God. Fall on your face. This is a proper response to God in faith, saying, you're king, I'm not. You're good, I'm not. You're big, I'm small, I trust you. So there's this one sense in which Abram nails it. He bows down, he falls on his face. Good work, Abram. But he's like the man in the New Testament who's talking to Jesus. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because as he's down there worshiping God, he's laughing. He's, he's like, it's, she's 90. I'm 100. Like, we are grandma and grandpa. Like, we eat dinner at four. We get a physical newspaper. Sarai just wrote to the city council asking for more stoplights. I get, I get my weather not from an app, but from a man. We're old, we're 90, we're 100. We're gonna have a baby? He's laughing, like how is this going to work? It's going to work because he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Abram needs to call him by this new name. And Abram's got this why, like why, does, why wait even longer? Why have a 90-year-old woman go through birth? Why, do all, why not just use Ishmael? Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Abraham loves Ishmael. And God says, yes, I will use Ishmael. I will take care of Ishmael. I am blessing Ishmael, but the covenant son can't be Ishmael. Say, so why? Why not Ishmael? Well, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Because Ishmael was born of Abram's works. And God, this God Almighty, this El Shaddai, this God of power, he's a God of grace, not works. Now, Ishmael didn't do anything wrong in and of himself by any means, but Ishmael was born by Abram and Sarai in chapter 16, trying to earn God's promises by their own schemes. He is a product of Abram trying to crush the head of the serpent on his own, with his own ideas and with his own effort, with his flesh. And so he takes Hagar in as some sort of surrogate mother for this promised child. And, and God is not going to give the covenant over to Ishmael because if, if he does, then the covenant was earned by Abram and God is a God of grace. That, hey, the promise will be kept. The serpent will be crushed. People will be saved. You'll be the father of a great nation. The people of God, both Jews and Gentiles, are gonna end up in that that group, that people, but it's all gonna be done by me, not by your schemes, not by your works, not by your effort. Look at verse 19 through 21. He says, Sarah, thy wife, will bear thee a son indeed. Like this is gonna happen. Thou shalt call his name Isaac, which interestingly does mean laughter because it's so much grace, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, it's a sense in which there's a play on words here. It's the idea that only God could come up with this, only God could do this. It's almost too good to be true because it comes from one that is too good and is true. Verse 20, it says, as for Ishmael, I hear you, right? Behold, I'm gonna bless him, make him fruitful, multiply him. Verse 21, but my covenant I'll establish with Isaac. And Sarah's gonna bear him this time next year. So he's given him a timeline now, right? Now he has a day to look for. Now he has a time period to look for. Now he's, God has placed himself on the hook to make this happen. And it's going to happen by grace. It has to be Isaac, it's going, he's going to take care of Ishmael, but it has to be Isaac, because here's the deal. If our works save us, if our schemes make the promise come true, if our efforts, our ideas, thoughts, if our abilities bring the promise of salvation to come, then we would be El Shaddai, but we are not. 
We are under him. We are needy of him. We are dependent on him. We cannot work our way into the promised covenant. We cannot work our way into salvation. We cannot work our way into a right relationship with God. We cannot keep our end of the covenant. So God comes, he makes a covenant with us, and he does all the work so that we know our relationship with him is solely based on grace from the Almighty. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, and he uses that might to give you grace to do what you cannot do for yourself. God uses his power to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Perhaps you need to learn a new name for God this morning, like Abram did in this story. Perhaps you've been calling God the God who won't, and you need to call him the God who will. You've been calling him the God who is late, and you need to call him the God on time. You've been calling him the God who is distant, and you need to call him the God who is near, Emmanuel, God with us. You've been calling him a God of duty, and you need to call him a God of relationship. You've been calling him the God of work, but really he's the God of grace. You've been calling him a God that's mighty, and you need to call him God almighty. El Shaddai. Abram needs to learn something new. He needs a new name for God, and God provides it for him. I am God Almighty. So Abram calls God by a new name, and God calls Abram by a new name. God gives Abram a new name. Look at verses four through eight. As for me, behold, my covenant's with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall my name, your name rather, be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations I have made thee. Look at verse seven. I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed in their generations be a God unto thee that I seed after thee. That's the core of the promise. Verse eight, I will give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, the land of Canaan. So we see that God's coming. He gives Abram this new name, the name of Abraham. But it's in the middle of this relationship with God, this covenant that's coming from God. And that core of the covenant is that God is his God. So it's based on his relationship with God. In essence, it's not just a name change, like going down to the court and wanting to be called something different. This is a new identity for Abram. Abram, the name, means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. The same thing is going to happen for Sarai. She gets a new identity in verse 15. Verse 15, God said to Abram, Abraham rather, and I'm going to mess these up, so just bear with me. Abraham, as for Sarai, thy wife, don't call her name Sarai, but call her name Sarah. So this is a really... Hard to, it's hard to explain this change because we're not ancient Hebrews, but the idea is that her name goes from something like my princess to the princess or princess to queen. Verse 16 kind of clarifies. He says, I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give you a son from her. I'm going to bless her and she will be the mother of nations, like a queen, the princess. King of, kings of people shall come from her. Right, so God is coming and he is giving them a new identity that is pointing to their new future, this renewed future, something they've heard about, but now they are seeing in a new light and in a new way. And what we see is that this is not something that they are earning. Remember, these are two 90-year-olds. These are not, this is not something they can do in and of themselves. This is something that is being given for them to do by grace, that they will be the first in the line of God's people, and it's a long line. I mean, I just, I, it's just amazing. This is just a cool picture. He's saying, no, 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 what I'm doing with you, like I'm having this relationship with you, and I'm making a promise to you to save the world through you, all of that, you're the first in a huge line of people. You're the mother of nations. You're the father of a multitude. I mean, it's kind of like, like one day, when we all are in heaven, Revelation 7 talks about this, and there are just billions of us, not alone trillions of angels surrounding the throne of Jesus. And he's sitting there, eyes like a flame of fire, feet fine under brass, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, voice of many waters. Right, uh, the rainbow surrounding the throne and the elders, 24 elders falling down saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty worthy as the Lamb? Amen. 
Worthy is the lamb. And as billions of us from all families, kindreds, tribes, tongues, nations, city-states, places, just this globe of people that have been saved by Jesus, they come around that throne to worship the lamb. Abram and Sarai get to kind of stand off in the back left and be like, can you believe that God used us, two 90-year-olds, to have all these children of faith? Right now, Abram and Sarah are not the point. Jesus is the point, but they get to be first in a long line of family, God's family, that their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids, lots of them become believers. Eventually, it all leads to Jesus. Jesus saves people from all over the world. Galatians tells us that if we're in Christ, we're the children of Abraham. Truly, the old Baptist Sunday school song is right. Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them. So are you. So please stay seated. Uh, that's, it. that's the idea. He's like, I'm doing something for you you can't even imagine. Like, you, you think it's about having this one kid, Isaac. No, no, no. You're going to be like the mother of nations. You're like the first people I'm dealing with, and out of you is going to come all my people. All my people. And so we see that this is something that is given to them by God. This place in redemption history, this identity is given to them by God. God enters into relationship with Abraham and Sarah. He forgives their past and he replaces it with a new identity. It's like when I got married to Joanna, right? She had a new identity. She had a name change. She went from Joanna Stark to Joanna Miller. We went to the social security office, waited about a day and a half, and she got a new ID card about six months later, right, as Joanna Miller, because a new relationship was formed. Now she has this new identity. This is what's going on with God, Abraham, and Sarah. This is what goes on with us, that God comes to us, and he enters into relationship with us through Jesus Christ, the Son, and he gives us a new name, and he gives us a new identity. It's an identity that only God can give us. We live in a world constantly trying to identify ourselves. Everybody is seeking to identify themselves. And here's what the Bible would say. You cannot. You, do not have, you are a created being. You don't have the power to identify you. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. Right, you, you try all you want. You call yourself young, it won't be long. You're going to call yourself old. You call yourself strong, it won't be long. You're going to be weak. You could call yourself great. It won't be long until you meet someone greater. Right, if we could identify ourselves, the only thing that's consistent enough about us to really give us a name or an identity would be our sin. That's the only thing we do throughout all our life. Right, our if we could identify ourselves, our identity would be miserable because it would have to center around our brokenness, our fall, our failures. If we could give ourselves an identity, it would be unrighteous. That's our identity, unrighteous. But God comes in and he gives us a new identity. Eventually, Jesus, the son of God, the son of Abraham, comes on the scene because of the promises made 4,000 years ago in this very chapter. God promises Abram a lineage of people, and eventually through that lineage comes Jesus. He promises him a lineage of kings, and eventually through those kings come the ultimate king, Jesus. He promises him land, and Jesus is going to come do ministry in this land. And he is going to walk through this land, changing everyone's identity by his own power and his own grace, El Shaddai. He is going to find captives, and he is going to call them free. He is going to find the blind and call them to see. He is going to find the lame and call them to run. In the very land we read here that is promised to Abraham, he, Jesus, is going to be crucified by his enemies, and even his enemies are going to get a new identity. Friend. You are the enemy of God in your sin, and then Jesus says, now I call you friend. Abraham believed God. He was called the friend of God. You can be the friend of God. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I have called you friends. This could be your name. 
And God can give it to you through Jesus Christ. This could be your identity. Jesus dies for our sins. He rises from death. He conquers our old identity and easily by his grace, by his power. He's El Shaddai. He gives us a new identity for all who will believe. So your name right now might be unrighteous. But through Jesus, your name could be changed to righteous. Your name might, not, might be unholy. But through Jesus, your name can be changed to holy. Your name right now might be sinful. But Jesus can change your name to forgiven. He gives us a new name. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is an identity given by God. And here's something really interesting about Abram's new name, Abraham. It is an identity that we cannot see. You know, Abram means exalted father, and for a long time, he did not look like an exalted father. He had no kids, none. What's your name, exalted father? Oh, let me make a little one. There are none. It's a tough one. Now he has one. Ishmael, 13 in this story. God, as soon as he gets his identity straightened out on his own, God says, I'm giving you a new identity. Abraham, father of a multitude. Question, is Abraham right now in the story a father of a multitude? No. He has one kid, and he's in his 90s. So humanly speaking, it does not look like he will ever be the father of a multitude. But this is where Abraham's faith shines. See, he has a lot of failures in the story, but he also has a lot of triumphs in the story, which is why he is this character for us. We kind of follow some of his example because he is 300 times in the Bible mentioned he's as the man of faith. Abraham believes God and he takes that identity, even though it's not physical yet, he takes that identity onto himself. By faith, he takes on the identity of the father of a multitude. He is now calling himself Abraham. Now, this is part of faith. We talked a few weeks ago. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. And God says, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Part of faith is believing that. But there's this other side to faith. And some of us, we struggle with this more. This other side of faith, where part of faith is believing that you are who God says you are. That's, that could be even harder, can't it? Is believing that God is, God, you are who God says you are. So if he says you're the father of a multitude, even though there's only one junior higher behind you, Part of faith is saying, all right, I'm the father of a multitude. This is faith. And I'll be honest, it's kind of audacious. But it's audacious faith. I mean, think about how interesting this is for Abram to become Abraham, right? Like, I thought of this, like, if he had Starbucks in that time period. Going into Starbucks, right? Because you got $200 to spare on a cup of coffee, Hey, we're going to Starbucks, getting some coffee. He goes up to the counter, getting the usual, right? Venti Pike Place. Right? If you're Chet, you get two or three of these a day. And uh, Just kidding, Chet, love you. Um, but I haven't made a Chet joke in a while, so I wanted to take advantage. And so, yeah, Chet, you know, and coming in, hey, Venti iced coffee, Venti black coffee. And the barista, what does she do, or he do? He always says, can I have a name for the order? And they write your name on the cup. And don't they always get it wrong? Don't they? It's hilarious. Right? I don't know what you guys have got. I've gotten Mish. I've gotten Rich. Uh, I've gotten Michelle. I'm like, I'm offended. Right? They write your name on the cup. Right? Abram goes in. Hey, Abram, you getting your usual? Yeah. What's the? And he's starting to write, Abram. No, Nicole, Abraham. To him and Ishmael. One kid. No, 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 I've changed. I'm the father of a multitude. What? That's sketchy because I only see one. Where's your secret family? No, I'm the father of a multitude. They're just not here yet. This is this audacious faith. And here's the idea that part of our faith is receiving the name that God gives for us, right? So like, here's how we feel sometimes, right? In our sin, in, on this side of heaven, in our flesh, right? We feel incomplete. But we sang this morning, right? 
that we are complete in him, and that's a gospel song because that's part of the good news is that Jesus comes, he fills in our cracks, he, he, where we are broken, he fixes things, and he completes us. Where we have missed the mark, he kept the mark for us, and we are complete. And so we have to have this audacious faith to say, I, this is how I feel, this is what it seems like I am, incomplete, but we need to walk into the Starbucks, metaphorically, don't freak people out, we need to walk into the Starbucks. Can I have a name for the order? I am complete. Repeat after me. I am, I am complete. complete. Jesus says you are justified by faith. Repeat after me. I am, I am justified. justified. Even though you feel unjust, Jesus says through his blood, every drop that was shed, you get under that fountain and you are guiltless. Say, I am, I am. guiltless feel guilty. Jesus said that through him, you have been ransomed. Even though you feel kidnapped by sin, you're not. He has taken you into his family. He has paid the price for your freedom and brought you back home through the I am Part of our faith, and we need to have audacious faith, is believing that we are who God says we are. That our identity has been proclaimed by him, not something we do, can do, cannot do, come up with, or don't come up with. God gives Abraham a new name, Abraham, even though it's something he cannot yet see. And you need to accept God's name for you. Instead of calling yourself hopeless, you might need to start calling yourself hopeful because through Christ, and only through Christ, but through Christ, you are hopeful. Instead of calling yourself condemned, you need to call yourself not condemned for there is there now for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God gives us this new identity and we have to have the faith to accept it even though we right now don't always see it, feel it, experience it in our emotions. Now, we do love things that we can see. I think God knows some of that, all of that, but I'm speaking from a human perspective. He's showing us some of that in this text. Because in this text, there is this new identity, but there's also, you probably noticed, the new identifier. Now, this is a little uncomfortable, but it's in the Bible. And it's all throughout the Bible, and it's a symbol that's used throughout the Old and New Testament, so we need to preach it, learn it, and learn from it. Abram's new identifier, look at verses 10 and 11. It says, this is my covenant. Verse 10 and 11, between me and you, thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you will be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It'll be a token of the covenant between me and you. You ever been reading the scriptures and you come across the idea of circumcision? Like I said, all throughout it, all the way to the New Testament letters of the church. In fact, Acts 15, one of the earliest and biggest meeting of the uh, early church, the apostles, they got together to talk about circumcision because some people in the church were circumcised and they were looking down on the other guys in the church who weren't circumcised. And I know for us in the 21st century, we're like, I've heard of churches splitting over the color of the carpet, but this is a whole new level. What is this? This is awkward. This is weird. What is, what is this? But this is a symbol mentioned all throughout the Bible, so we need to know. Okay, what ends up happening is this. We'll start with this, then we'll get to some of the significance. You're going to see this a lot in the scriptures because what ends up happening with this sign for Abraham's covenant throughout the law and the prophets is that throughout the entire Old Testament, really, the people of God, Abraham's children, the nation of Israel, Okay, they start thinking of circumcision as salvation itself. Not just a sign of salvation coming to them, but salvation. So either they think that circumcision literally saves them, or they think that God ends up saving them because they were circumcised. Neither are true. And this issue continues throughout redemption history, so it's written about all the time to remind us, no, no, that was a very significant moment in the Bible, the introduction of circumcision, very important in the Bible, but it was a symbol of the salvation God gave his people. Now, it was important. I mean, you could see the confusion. It was important. Look at verse 12. He that is eight days old, he shall be circumcised. Verse 14, the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul will be cut off from his people. He's broken the covenant. So it was a required symbol 
but it was indeed just a symbol. It's this outward symbol that you are different, that you are unique, that you are set apart, that you are God's. But it is a symbol. It is supposed to be an outward symbol of a heartfelt, inward action, obedience. In fact, that's what God wants throughout this whole text. Look back at verse one of the text. Abram, you're 99. I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect or blameless or obedient. Right, he's saying from your heart, out of faith, don't just embrace the symbol, but live out what it symbolizes, which is life outside of the flesh or the sin nature, a changed life, a new life. It's a matter of the heart. So we see after this throughout the Bible, the prophets and the apostles calling people to what it symbolized. So like in Deuteronomy 30 and Jeremiah 4, the prophets say, hey, you need to be circumcised of heart. Meaning, the circumcision is this idea that you're set apart as God's men, but in your heart, you really need to want that and and feel that and believe that by faith. In the New Testament, Paul starts to write about it, and he says that this sign is no longer a big deal for us. It's a medical operation for your kids. If that's the way you go or don't go is really irrelevant. The, The idea is that Christ that he was cut off for us, that he was broken and he was bloodied and he was hurt and his sacrifice, that is now what changes the heart because it's all about the heart. And only by coming to Jesus and seeing what he went through can the heart be changed. And then Paul will go on to say, like if you want something to do on the outside, if you want something to see, Right. Do what circumcision symbolized. Do the new, live that new life as the new people of God, as God's people. You say, well, what is that? Well, it's actually for us the the identifier for us is love. Right. So in the Old Testament, the identifier of the people of God that was circumcision. In the New Testament, the identifier of the people of God is love. I mean, great, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, Jesus, he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do we know that we're set apart? How do we know that we're God's people? It's by our love. In fact, on this very topic, Paul writes this in Colossians 3, 8, verse uh, 8 through 14, he says, but now also you have put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man, the flesh, with his deeds, and have put on a new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created us, Jesus. Whether, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, bond nor free, all, Christ is all in all. So put on, therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, forgive as well. And above all, put on these things, charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. So there is still something that sets us apart as God's people, but it's not, no longer is it a mark on our body, it is how we treat the body of Christ. That's now the mark. And so you see this all throughout the Bible, and when you see it, just know it is this symbol of a new heart, a changed life, that is really the evidence of that now is how we treat others not a mark on ourselves. So this is just a symbol. You need to know that as you read the Bible. Now let's get to the significance because you're thinking, okay, it's a symbol. Why this symbol, right? Anybody else thought that? Like couldn't have, I don't know, done a tattoo, Jesus, or a, I don't know, maybe like a t-shirt. Like why this symbol, right? I mean, this is, this is odd to read. This is awkward to read. There's, this is, inter- like I did not see this coming, right? Why this symbol? Here's the idea. We have to go all the way back to Genesis 3.15. With Genesis 1, 2, 3, it's all about life. And we see that life comes to this end. Death is introduced because of sin. But in Genesis 3.15, God's gonna make a promise. It's the promise that the whole book of Genesis is based on, okay? And here's the promise, that the woman would have a seed, life. 
a son who has a son who has a son who has a son, right? And eventually one of these sons would crush the head of the serpent who tempted us and led us to death, okay? So God, from the get-go, Genesis 3.15, is saying that I am going to call to myself a seed or a people. I am going to set apart a people for myself, and out of that people will come one who will bring us all back to the tree of life, to life, and life everlasting, and not death. So you go through the book of Genesis, and you get to some people like Enoch, Noah. You're like, well, okay, are these God's people? And there's a sense in which, absolutely. But then we get to Abraham, and things start to get really clear, right? Like, it's like we're wiping off a, a, a mirror with Windex, and, it's all, and, and we've gotten some of the streaks out, and we're starting to see much clearer what's going on. When it comes to Abraham, there's this new plot point revealed where we're saying, okay, these guys are not the serpent crusher, but Abraham is about to have children, and those children will have children, and this is going to be a nation, and now we know the serpent crusher will come from this nation, eventually going to be called the nation of Israel, and through that serpent crusher, all nations can be saved, okay? So he's going to set apart a people from himself, for himself, to save all people who call on Jesus. That's the promise. And this is the sign in the Old Testament that someone was part of that people and part of that promise. Circumcision, here's the idea. The male reproductive organ represents life. Remember, Genesis, a big, like, uh, a common, you know, thread is this idea of seed, life. The flesh is this representation for our sin nature, our fallen nature. And so through circumcision, God's saying, listen, I'm going to set apart a people for life, eternal life, by removing sin, the sin nature, the flesh, So it's this picture of being set apart for sanctification, which means growing out of sin to be more and more like Jesus and then being like Jesus in heaven as sinless as he is. True life and life everlasting. That's the symbol. That's the significance. That's what we're going towards. Removal of the sin nature, removal of the death it brings so that we could be alive in this life, in Christ, and in the next life, forever. I was talking with Jesus uh, the other day. I love Jesus. Jesus is my all-time best friend. And I talk with him all the time. We talk all day. I mean, mostly it's me talking about all my problems. And him reminding me of all my blessings, and I get frustrated, but he forgives me. We talk all the time. I'm closer with Jesus than I am anybody else. Uh, He's my absolute best friend. I love Jesus. And the other night, I was worshiping Jesus in my room. My wife let me use her headphones, which is an act of love in our household. And I was listening to worship music, and I was talking with Jesus, and I was like, Jesus, I cannot wait to see you. I cannot wait to meet you face to face. And I cannot wait to never sin again. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, this is the good news. This is what circumcision is telling us. There will come a day where your sin nature is crucified with Christ and you will never feel shame or guilt or loss or death. You will never sin again. That's the good news. That Jesus is cutting out the flesh that kills you and he is bringing you back to innocence and back to life and back to walking with him where nothing can separate you two. It's happening already in this life and it will be completed in the next life where we will be totally new, glorified, without the flesh in a new Jerusalem forever and ever. That's the significance of circumcision. It's this beautiful picture of a new hope, a new life that's coming because of Jesus. As painful as circumcision was on that day that he circumcised his whole house, Jesus went through infinitely more on the cross to free us from the flesh. And now if we're in him, that is the circumcision that matters. And it's displayed by love. It's that is the mark, that love is the mark of this new life. I love new things. Don't you love new things? You know one thing I love? 
I love new babies. Love new babies. We, we have a lot of couples at Griggs. We got babies coming. I am so pumped. I love baby dedications. I love newborns. I miss my kids being that age. I love that age. I, you know what? Speaking of, I think we talked a little bit about the new car smell. What about that new baby smell? Do you know what I'm talking about? That new baby smell, man. It's awesome. They should make an air freshener out of that. They got a smell. <laughs> new baby. New baby smell. Now, here's the deal. I love a new baby because they're so innocent, right? Now, I understand what we believe about the sin nature being passed down. This isn't theological right now. I'm just saying, practically speaking, they're not going to lie to you. They're not going to curse you. They're not going to steal from you. They're not going to tear the place down. They are, they are just only amazing, only lovable, only cute. Even when they spit up, it's cute. It's the only time in life where you throw up and people are like, aw, aw. <laughs> right? It's newness to the newborn, innocence, and life. I love a newborn baby. And here's what God's doing in this chapter, 17, when he says, all the newborn males, eight days old, circumcise them. The, the, in their innocence, in their, humanly speaking, their, their uh, I guess innocence would be the word, because they're not sinless, I get all that. But in their innocence, in this newness, in this life, circumcise them. Because I want you to know that this state, not the spit up and, uh, you know, gaga, but this state of life and innocence and newness and freshness, that is all something I am going to bring back to all of you in the end. That you will be made brand new, just like this. child, Because, <laughs> you know, give it about, I mean, give it two years, give it three years, right? Give it time, you'd be like, oh, no, there's something corrupt in that thing. That's what's going on with this. Throwing blocks at each other. The, the other night, I took Alden to play air hockey at the arcade, and, hockey, and he's trying to distract me so he can sneak in a shot. He goes, hey, Dad, let's talk about Jesus. Because he knows I'll be like, oh, okay. And then he throws the thing in the ball. I'm like, did you just use what, Jesus against me? That is a sin. And I did lose. Okay. But here's the idea. That thing that's about to corrupt that newborn, that thing is called sin nature. It's called the flesh. And Jesus dies in our place, taking our flesh, taking our sin, being cut, being bloodied and in that takes the wrath of God from us and our sin nature from us sends us the Holy Spirit to start making us new and we're never brand new in this life we are we are born anew but we still have that sin nature but we are heading to a day where we'll be like those newborns that we were and that we will not lie to each other and we will not cuss each other and we will not steal from each other and we will not hate each other and we will not destroy ourselves because our sin nature will be wiped away and all things will be made new. So I went on forever and ever. That's on me, but we're still gonna worship. Feel free to come bow down, fall on your face here, pray, stay in your seat, pray, raise your hands, lift up Jesus' name. Musicians, come on up. Let's praise the one who makes all things new. Jesus, thank you. Because you make all things new. You give us a new identity from incomplete to complete, from sinful to sinless. Not because we actually are, but by your grace. It is this gift. So Jesus, help us by faith to believe we are who you say we are. And you have said through this symbol, this sign of the covenant, that our flesh is being, uh, the sin nature is being removed until it finally is forever in heaven. All by the power of one name, El Shaddai, Jesus the Almighty. And we pray now that you give us a heart of worship and humbleness that we seek you and we lift you up in this last part of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.